NBA trade season is here. You know, we just saw Porzingis get moved to Boston. Bradley Beal is on the Suns. Plus, the NBA draft is coming up tomorrow. Lots of storylines there to talk about. And then I want to start doing a NBA mock expansion draft. So if you don't know the expansion rules, I cover all of those rules. And look forward to what a team potentially in Seattle and maybe Las Vegas uh, will have. So part one coming up later, uh, along with some NBA trades and NBA draft storylines coming up next. All right, we are taping this part of the podcast late Wednesday night here on the West Coast. And I purposely wanted to wait as late as possible uh, to get this part recorded because I just knew something was going to happen, you know, where the, the night before the trade deadline, whether that was news about the draft, whether that was another trade breaking down, I knew something was going to happen because it typically does this time of year. And of course, we got a late night blockbuster uh, here on the West Coast. Chris Tapps Porzingis ends up going to Boston. Marcus Smart is now going to Memphis uh, instead of Malcolm Brogdon uh, in the Clippers deal, which we'll talk about in a second. And then Tyus Jones goes to, to Washington to fulfill the deal. Grizzlies also sent a couple first-round picks Boston's way. So Boston ends up getting Porzingis and two first-round picks for Marcus Smart, uh, whereas the Wizards give up Porzingis, get back Tyus Jones. And then the, the Grizzlies give up Tyus Jones and two first-round picks for Marcus Smart. On the surface, I think this is a really intriguing trade. And I don't think there's tons of maybe clear winners or losers, at least in my opinion. I know a lot of people are, are coming out and saying how the Wizards you know, only got Tyus Jones for Porzingis. You know, it was a one-for-one one swap. Well, a couple things there. One, Tyus Jones, I think, is really underrated. I think he probably was overqualified for his role in Memphis, and it sounded like he's even been wanting out and wanting a bigger role. So now, whether he stays in Washington, whether he goes somewhere else, he's going to get a chance to you know, be a starting point guard, which I think he deserves a shot at. And then two, and probably more importantly, Porzingis, he could have just opted out and signed with any team. So he, he opts into his $36 million player option to make this trade work. But again, he could have just opted out and signed for another team and the Wizards got nothing. So in that sense, the Wizards got something back in a, a nice young point guard in Tyus Jones where they could have gotten nothing. So that, that's going to limit what the Wizards are able to get. And then three is you know a combination of... You know, the, the contract that Porzingis is going to sign for and just kind of who he is as a player and all of his injury history. I think when he's healthy, he's a really quality uh, big who can stretch the floor, who is an underrated defender. But we all know his injury history and his risk of, of potentially being injured in what, whatever his new contract with Boston ends up being. So there was, I know, some concern of, of trading for a guy who you know, played really well last year, but there's a good chance he gets hurt for the Celtics next year. So I think those three things limited his value somewhat because, yeah, on the surface, you know, the casual NBA fan will see Porzingis as this, you know, big name and the Wizards only getting back Tyus Jones. 
I'm not saying the Wizards won the deal or it was an amazing trade for them, but I'm saying on the surface, I don't think it's a huge, huge loss for the Wizards. Plus, you know, they just traded Beal for, again, what, what a lot of people thought to be an underwhelming package. It's, it's clear what they're doing. You know, they have uh, a new front office who's coming in, and I think they're making it pretty clear. They don't want to be stuck in the middle anymore because that's the, the worst place you can be if you're uh, an NBA team. And frankly, any sport, I think that's the worst place to be is just stuck in mediocrity. And so they saw that this Wizards team, it was a fine team. If you're led by Beal, Porzingis, Kyle Kuzma, you're not terrible. You're going to win some games, but you're never, never going to compete for a championship and never really even compete for a, a long playoff run. So they decided there's no sense in trying to add to this core. Let's blow it up. Let's tank. Let's start over. So, you know, that should have probably happened a year before. So they could have had a chance at, at Wimbanyama, but it's not. So they can't look back. And I think they're deciding we're not going to be competitive next year. Let's blow it up. Let's start over. So in that sense, I think the Wizards have gotten what they wanted. Getting out of the, the big Beal contract, not re-signing Porzingis to what will probably be a pretty significant uh, extension. And then getting guys like Tyus Jones, who, you know, could turn into a really quality uh, young piece for them moving forward. From the Celtics perspective, I'm sure Celtics fans are going to be, be disheartened to hear Marcus Smart is leaving. And, I mean, why wouldn't they? He's been the heart and soul of this team ever since he came from Oklahoma State. He won Defensive Player of the Year just a year ago, so it's not like he's completely fallen off. He's been the, the vocal leader for a team that has lacked vocal leaders, you know, because Tatum, Jalen Brown, not exactly, you know, the big, you know, rah-rah, energy, loud leader types. So that was Marcus Smart. So losing that, I don't want to minimize that. And I also don't want to minimize how he could play in Memphis, which we'll get to in a second. But I think from Boston's perspective, if you take out that emotional side, I think it has a chance to be a really good deal, not only because they trade Marcus Smart into Porzingis, but they also acquire two first-round picks in this deal. And yes, you know the, the two first-round picks, one of them is the 25th pick uh, in this year's draft. And then they get a, a protected Warriors pick, I believe, in 2024. Not going to be super high draft picks. But for a team like the Celtics, or really any team that's competing, getting these late first round picks and getting a shot at, you know, maybe a Christian Brown that the Nuggets got this past year, getting players like that on good rookie contracts, they're important for teams like the Celtics. And so for someone like them, if they could kind of luck into a, a nice quality bench piece with a 25th pick this year. I think that has to be put in perspective. But obviously the main piece is going to be Porzingis. If Porzingis stays healthy, this is a great deal because now they have a big three in Tatum, Brown, and Porzingis. If they sign him to a big extension and if his injury history comes back, you know, then it's obviously not as good of a deal. And they're, they're really putting a lot of chips into Porzingis. Frankly, I was surprised that, that they made this big swing because it's, it's been Tatum and Brown, right, for the last few years. 
they've made some moves. You know, they've gotten Malcolm Bragnan last year. They brought in, you know, some veterans like Al Horford. But they haven't made the, the big swing, you know, that a team like the Suns, they're, they're making a lot of big swings recently. They've been sort of set with Tatum and Brown and just kind of made some, some moves around the fringes. But this feels like a move that is going to really define the next couple years for Boston. Because again, like I said, if it works, if Porzingis comes in, if he stays healthy, if he's able to you know, provide some shot blocking like Robert Williams has, but then also provide more offense than Horford or Robert Williams could ever, that's going to be huge. So this is definitely a high-risk, high-reward situation for the Celtics. But I think, to me, they didn't, they didn't give up enough that it could be you know, back-breaking for them if Porzingis doesn't turn out. Because yes, smart and all the intangibles is important, but he's an older guard. He's a defensive first guard. And you know, we have plenty of examples of you know, these athletic, defensive-minded point guards. You know, they're not going to play till they're 38. This isn't like a shooter who can just shoot until they're 40. So, you know, giving up on smart as hard as it is and as hard as Celtics fans are going to take it, not the worst move in the world. Because, you know, they probably had to get rid of either smart, Derek White, or Malcolm Brogdon. And they, they tried to get rid of Brogdon in a trade with the Clippers that fell through. But they ended up going with White and potentially Brogdon if they keep him and moving on from Smart. That brings me to the Grizzlies, the last team uh, in this deal. This one's interesting. I don't want to necessarily call them a loser uh, in this deal, because I think what Marcus Smart brings, I think the Grizzlies need. I really like Tyus Jones, so, so losing him is going to hurt. Giving up a couple first-round picks, even if they're late first-round picks, you know, is tough as well. But Marcus Smart, again, like I said, the Grizzlies have a certain weakness, and we've learned that the last couple of years, and there's a potential for Marcus Smart to just fit in perfectly for what they need. You know, what were the Grizzlies missing this year? Frankly, they were missing an adult, and that was Steven Adams for a while until he got hurt. But now they have Marcus Smart, who, you know, isn't going to take any of the the antics from, from John Morant, from some of the younger guys. You know, of course, Dylan Brooks, he's probably not coming back, so they don't have to worry about him. But they're essentially going to upgrade from Brooks to Marcus Smart. And I think Marcus Smart is what Dylan Brooks should be and what you know, he might be capable of, but he, I think he gets in his own head sometimes. So there's, again, there's a potential that Smart can be a perfect fit. You know, Because then you can go... Ja, when he comes back, Marcus Smart, Desmond Bain, Triple J, and Steven Adams, you know, and then rotate maybe some of their wings if they want to go small. I don't hate that lineup. And I think that's a really defensive-minded lineup. Obviously, guys like Smart, guys like Triple J, past two defensive player of the years on the same roster. Desmond Bain's a good defender. Steven Adams uh, is known as a great, great interior big. Ja Morant, uh, maybe not a defensive stopper, but he's athletic. So they're, they know what they're building. They're building a tough, defensive-minded team, and they probably just got the most tough, defensive-minded guard we've had in the league. So from that sense, 
it's intriguing. Now, did they give up a lot for an aging point guard? Maybe. But I think that's what makes this deal so interesting, is to me, there's not a clear winner or loser. Like, I, I like parts of this deal for all teams. Now, yes, the Wizards, you know, probably didn't get as much value on, on Porzingis as they could have. But for all the reasons I mentioned, I don't think that's necessarily something to really, really harp on. The Celtics, they took a big risk with Porzingis. And then same with the, the Grizzlies. You know, they kind of opted to go with an older guard uh, and try to, to win now. So it's one of those three-team deals that is really intriguing on all sides. And it's one of the reasons I love this time of the year, because it's, it's full of, of trades like this. And it's full of, of teams trying to, to move around to get uh, what, they, what they envision. Really quickly on uh, the other big trade that went down the last couple of days, and that was, of course, Bradley Beal going to the Suns for Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, uh, and some second-round picks. And then it sounds like you know, a couple of other smaller pieces going back and forth. The Suns, I, I don't exactly know what they're doing. Well, I guess I do know what they're doing. They're essentially saying, you know, the whole big three and the idea that you need three stars has kind of fallen uh, out of the NBA. You know, it's a lot of, a lot of two guys uh, and some depth pieces. The Suns are going to prove, and well, at least will try to prove, that the big three still works in the NBA. And in this case, their big three, Durant, Booker, and now Bradley Beal, their big three can outscore anybody. But the problem is there's a reason why the NBA has sort of shifted away from, you know, three stars. Is because, yes, those three stars can be as good as they can be. But the NBA is just so much deeper than it was that you can't just rely on three players. You need, you need seven players. You need eight players. Especially come playoff time. Yes, the Nuggets won because of Jokic and Murray. But in the Sun series, you know, Durant and Booker, they did all they could to keep up with them. And at the end of the day, it was, it was guys like KCP, guys like Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., stepping up around those stars. So now the Suns are going to go from Durant and Booker to Durant, Booker, and Beal, which I'm not saying is bad. But they're really going to have to rely on uh, either DeAndre Ayton, if he's there, or if they flip him into maybe a couple smaller pieces to essentially fill out the rest of their roster. Because now, it's again, it's going to be a big three, potentially big four with Ayton, and a bunch of role players, and a bunch of minimum contract role players. So it's a big swing. And, you know, the, the Suns have a new owner, so I don't necessarily fault him for that. You know, he, he's wanting to come in, you know, make his stamp on the Suns. But it's a big bet, and it's a big bet on those three. The only reason I don't hate it uh, is, you know, the, the cost of, of getting Beal, you know, not, wasn't really that much, mainly because of the big contract he's on. They're essentially turning uh, Chris Paul and Landry Shamit into Bradley Beal. So on paper, it looks, it looks intriguing. It looks interesting, and it looks like, you know, the Suns will be able to score with anybody. The Wizards, you know, I mentioned them with the Porzingis deal. Their whole goal is cutting costs 
tanking. You know, they don't need Bradley Beal to score 30 points a game. They don't need him to to help win a few games. They want to kind of just tank and then we'll we'll reevaluate uh, in a couple of years. So, I don't I don't hate the 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 trade for the Wizards. I think they were kind of stuck with Beal uh with his contract with his no trade clause, which essentially allowed him to force himself wherever he wanted. So I, I'm not going to spend too much time on the Wizards. They, yeah, they, they made mistakes previously by giving Beal that contract to begin with and giving him that no trade clause that, you know, this new executive team, they come in, I think that's the best they can do. So to me, the more interesting side is going to be Phoenix. I could see a world where Bradley Beal is a great third option. I could also see a world where, you know, those three can score. But, you know, those three can also get hurt. And those three also can't really play defense. So, again, uh, the Suns are just going all in on these next couple of years. If they get a championship, great. If not, you know, that's the risk they're taking with not only trading for Beal, but then trading everything for Durant. They're really going all in on these three players. And not a bad thing to go all in on. But it'll be, it'll be something to watch uh, come next year. And I'm sure we'll talk, talk lots more about it uh, heading into next year uh, before the season starts. One other thing uh, that I want to mention, you know, the draft is tomorrow as well. Two things I'm really looking forward. One is what Charlotte does at number two. Because for a while, it was going to be Brandon Miller. And then, you know, Vegas odds started to drop for Scoot Henderson. Sounded like it was going to be Scoot at number two. But now reports have come out that Charlotte's going to take Brandon Miller. And yet people have come out saying how much they love Scoot, which I'm one of those people. I think Scoot is the better player. I think you take him. But it sounds like if Charlotte stays at number two, sounds like it's going to be Brandon Miller. But now they're seeing, you know, can they trade that? Will somebody else jump in and take Scoot number two? So that's one thing I'm watching. The other thing is any big trade, because we've seen rumors, whether it's Charlotte at number two, you know, maybe being a team for Zion, you know, does Zion get moved before tomorrow? Does somebody like Pascal Siakam get moved from Toronto? Then you have Portland at number three, you know, do they move that third pick? Does Dame get traded in the next 24 hours? Again, I mentioned this is why I love this time of year because we get just tons of tons of moving pieces, tons of of teams trying to figure out how they want to construct their roster. So I'm excited. I'm hoping there's there's some movement tomorrow. You know, it could get pretty hectic, especially you know at number two and number three with Charlotte and Portland. But I think that that first part of the draft is going to be really interesting. And then that. I'm not even going to cover the, the rest of the, the first round, which I think has lots of other storylines, but we'll cover that after the draft once we, once we see what happens. I do want to spend some time going over uh, a mock expansion draft, uh, which I've been working on. I recorded this earlier today, so this was before all the, the trades went down uh, with Boston and Porzingis today. So, you know, some of that will be obviously irrelevant at this point, but I want to go through what it's like to have an expansion team in the NBA, go through all the rules, protections, and draft, all that sort of thing. So the first part's coming up uh, right after this, with the second part coming up probably, probably later this week. 
But first part with all the rules and explanation for an expansion draft, plus uh, all the protections that each team would do in this you know, mock expansion draft. Uh, that's all coming up next after the break. I want to spend some time doing a NBA expansion draft. Of course, being up in Seattle, you know, we have obviously lots to look forward to, hopefully sometime in the next couple of years of a team potentially being expanded to Seattle. It sounds like it's going to happen soon. You know, the, the big TV media rights deal is coming in 2024. And by all indications, it sounds like after that gets done, the NBA is going to turn to expansion and, and getting that all sorted out. Because, I mean, it's been rumored for a while. It's, it's been in the air ever since uh, the Sonics left in 2008. And it, it sounds like it's going to happen sometime in the next few years. So, you know, one can assume it'll be Seattle and Las Vegas. That's been the, the two for a while. So I want to spend some time about what that will look like. And I want to do this every year during this, this time, right around the NBA draft. And just get an idea, if, if the Sonics were coming back, if a team in Las Vegas was coming, what sort of team would they get? Because we've had expansion drafts before, but we haven't had one since 2004 when the then Charlotte Bobcats came into the league. And so I think a lot of people may not realize what the process is like, how an expansion team gets players, what sort of players would get selected, and all of that. So this will probably be a little bit long, so I might split this into two parts. But I want to start with essentially just the, the rules, the process. So if you don't know what happens when a, a team gets expanded into a city, this is essentially how it works. So every other team in the league, so in that case, the other 30 teams that are currently in the NBA right now, they would get to essentially protect uh, up to eight players on their roster. So what's going to happen is after all these protections happen, the expansion team, again, we'll assume for this exercise, it's Seattle and Las Vegas, they will then get to select any player they want and essentially just take them from their existing team. So as an example, let's use the Warriors. You know, the Warriors are a popular team in the NBA these days. Of course, the team in Seattle, the team in Las Vegas, they would love Curry. They would love to say, hey, let's, let's just take Curry. Obviously, that's why the protections exist. And the Warriors are going to say, okay, you can't have Curry. And they can do that for, again, up to eight players. So the expansion draft is designed to help and get you know, players onto the new team. But at the same time, they don't want to totally handicap the, the team that's losing the player. Because this isn't a, an exercise to just take good players from teams and put this on the new team. It's really meant for you know, this expansion team to get some shots at some, you know, either potential role players, maybe overpaid veterans, maybe some young guys, without totally, again, totally handicapping the team that they're taking from. So again, for an example, a team like the Warriors, it's uh, pretty much a guarantee that they're going to protect, you know, guys like Curry, Andrew Wiggins, to maybe some of their younger guys like Kuminga, Moses Moody, that they would want to keep on the roster for one reason or the other. However, the rules of who they can protect at a given time, that's where it gets complicated. 
for the the purpose of this exercise, I've made it a little bit uh, easier to understand, even for my sake, when I was trying to to go through this exercise of of which players teams would protect. There's there's a couple rules that are pretty easy to follow. One, they have to be on the roster for this upcoming year. So again, for the the Warriors, somebody like Andre Godala. Uh, he you know was on their roster this past year. He is not under contract. He is scheduled to be a free agent this upcoming year. If a player is an unrestricted free agent, meaning if they have the option to go anywhere they please and have essentially no restrictions, hence the word unrestricted, then they are not considered for this exercise because this expansion draft is essentially basing it off of the roster for the following year and not what happened the previous year. So all unrestricted free agents, they are free agents at this point. The, the past season has ended. The Nuggets, in this case, have won the championship. So we're on to next year. So unrestricted free agents off the table. They don't get factored in to all the, the predictions that teams have to make. If a player has an option, and this could be a team option, a player option, early termination option, this is where it gets tricky. Because, like I said, the, the main rule is they have to be on the roster the following year. But going back to the Warriors as an example, Dante DiVincenzo was on their roster this past year. He has a player option, meaning he can choose to essentially opt into the contract at a given number and play for the Warriors next year. Now, he could decline the option and go into free agency, and then if he declined it, he would be a free agent and wouldn't be eligible for a protection because he's a free agent at that point. On the flip side, a team might have an option. So the, the Warriors have a, an option on Jonathan Kaminga. Obviously, they're going to pick up that option. He's young. He still has potential. He's you know, under a good contract. So they're going to pick up his option, but they have the option if he wasn't a good player, if they didn't want to pay him the money, they could decline it and he could become a free agent. So that's, that's where it gets a little complicated because obviously, depending on the option, a player could become a free agent or not. For the purposes of this exercise, I'm ignoring all players with options, whether that be team option, player option. In reality, you know, teams can work with players to whether you know, convince them to opt in, opt out. They could do things with team options. So if, if they have problems with the protections, because remember, you can only protect eight players, you know, they can do some, some finagling with, with their roster and, and make some of those decisions. I'm not going to get that complex. I'm not going to get too in the weeds on that one. So for now, we're going to ignore player options, just make them irrelevant. But that's something that could happen. So for example, Draymond Green, he has a player option, which we have since learned. It sounds like he's going to decline it. If for whatever reason he wanted to opt into it, well, then the Warriors would have to protect him, but then they would have to leave somebody else unprotected. And that could cause, you know, lots of issues. So maybe they would convince him to opt out, things like that. So that would be a whole other storyline to watch once the expansion draft actually happens. But because it's so early in the offseason, you know, lots of these players haven't chosen one way or the other. 
whether they're opting in or not. So for now, we'll just we'll just ignore them. The last uh, kind of wrinkle to this is restricted free agents. So again, I mentioned unrestricted free agents. They are free to sign with any other team. So they are obviously not valid for protection. Restricted free agents are different though, because essentially what a restricted free agent means is yes, they're eligible to go sign with any other team. They're a free agent, so they can go negotiate with teams once the new league year starts. But their current team has the option to essentially match any, any other offer that they get. So the Warriors, as an example, Anthony Lamb, you know, a bench player, played a little bit uh, in the playoffs this past year. He's a restricted free agent meaning he can go sign with any other team. And again, depending on where the Warriors are at, they may be fine letting him go. But if they're interested in keeping him, and if he agrees to an offer with a team, the Warriors can match it and bring him back uh, with that same offer. So those players you do have to protect. Because again, you have sort of their right uh, to, to sign them if you want, uh, if you want to match any offer that comes through. The only difference, though, if that player gets selected, you know, and we'll, we'll get into this once we start picking players, but if that player gets selected, they become an unrestricted free agent. So it's not that the team picking them automatically gets them. They do become a free agent. And uh, again, probably most likely what would happen if a team actually selected a restricted free agent, they would know that, hey, we're picking you. You're going to become a restricted free or an unrestricted free agent. But then I would assume they'd have some conversation with, hey, let's let's get you signed to a contract. And that makes sense because if you select a normal player, so for example, again, let's say for whatever reason Curry wasn't protected and Seattle selected Curry. They essentially just adopt his current contract. But a restricted free agent, they don't really have a contract. They don't have anything set. So if they get selected, they become an unrestricted free agent, then the, the team has the ability to sign them. So that sort of was the, the breakdown. Um, uh, you know, it, it can get complicated, but just to, I guess, sum it up quickly, the team can select up to eight players that are on their roster at the time of the protections happening. So for the purposes of this exercise, we're ignoring options. We're ignoring those players. We're ignoring players that are unrestricted free agents, but everybody else is on the table. So I think really the last thing to note is, again, you can protect up to eight players. Uh, The Warriors, by my count, again, based on a lot of those rules, they have nine players that can be protected. So again, you can protect up to eight. So that's going to leave one player unprotected and available for either Seattle or Las Vegas to sign. That makes it a kind of a good situation. You know, you can protect your eight players. You have one left over, essentially the, the ninth guy on your list of nine that you would be okay losing. Not the end of the world. But there are some teams like the Memphis Grizzlies, who, who we'll get to once we talk about the protections for each team. They have 13 players. That could be selected. And that's uh, the nature of a lot of these 
maybe younger teams that have a lot of players under contract, they're going to have a lot of players on their roster. And again, you can only protect eight. So that's going to leave, you know, kind of your back half of your roster available to be picked. On the flip side, a team like the Lakers, you know, they don't have this deep young roster. Essentially, uh, for the last few years, it's been LeBron, Anthony Davis, and a couple of players. That's essentially their roster right now, right? You have LeBron and AD. Obviously, they'll be protected. You have a couple restricted free agents, and then you just have a couple other players on their on their roster. So they don't they don't have eight players. And no, they don't just get a pass and get to protect all their players. You have to leave at least one player unprotected. So if you have less than eight, if you only have six, that means you can only protect five because one player has to be unprotected from each team. So I think that those are all the rules, at least for protections um, that, that I want to go over. When we get to the actual draft of players, you know, we'll go over all of that, that stuff. But that's how protections work. Um, I kind of just want to run through uh, every team uh, and go through their protections. Some, like I said, easier than others. Some, obviously, get a little bit more tricky. I guess let's start with the easy teams. You know, just go get those out of the way. I mentioned the Warriors. They have nine players to be protected. So they can protect eight of their nine. Pretty obvious. They're going to protect Curry. They're going to protect Clay Thompson, Wiggins, guys like Gary Payton, Kevon Looney, Jordan Poole. Then you get sort of to the, the end of the bench. Some of their maybe younger pieces, some of their veterans. Anthony Lamb is somebody I mentioned. He's a restricted free agent. You can make the argument that they would leave him unprotected. I said for this exercise they would. I think he was a nice change of pace for them at times. Maybe they want to bring him back. So I had had Ryan Rollins, who they had signed. I don't think really played at all this season, uh, leaving him unprotected. You could argue kind of at the end of their bench who would be unprotected, but I don't think there's much that they lose. Running through some uh, other teams that are pretty easy as well, Charlotte Hornets, they were a team that was pretty easy for me to, to make their protections. They have a bunch of young guys that they, they'd like to protect. Obviously, LaMelo Ball, guys like P.J. Washington, Mark Williams, who they drafted this past year. I had uh, Nick Richards and Bryce McGowan's uh, left unprotected. Again, not, not the end of the world. You know, Nick Richards probably might uh, be a candidate to be selected, but uh, a veteran bench center, you know, not the end of the world, especially for a young team like the Hornets. The Bulls, they were lucky that a lot of their players uh, were, you know, either unrestricted or just not, not needed to be protected. So they're able to protect all their main guys, DeRozan, Zach Levine, Alex Caruso, Patrick Williams, Kobe White. Io DeSumo, who I really liked out of Illinois, uh, kind of broke out for the Bulls last year. He's a restricted free agent, but I'm sure they would like to, to have him back. They get to protect him as well. I think the only thing you could argue with the Bulls is Lonzo Ball. And if you haven't heard all the reports, it's not looking great for Lonzo's career. You know, he was out all of last year with a, a knee injury. And it doesn't sound like he's going to be back anytime soon. So he's on the books for the next couple of years. 
you can make the argument that, you know, while 20 million a year for Lonzo isn't a bad price, and when he's playing, that's certainly a, a fine number. But if he really isn't going to play or is going to be injured for the rest of his career, you can make the argument he might be unprotected. And, you know, if we're doing this next year, you know, that might be the case. But for now, I left him protected just in case he's able to get back. But again, maybe the Bulls know something we don't and, and leave him unprotected. So that leaves Dalen Terry, uh, the, the young guard out of Arizona, I believe, uh, left unprotected. But again, only one player uh, unprotected for the Bulls. Cavaliers, another team that only has one player that's left unprotected. Guys like Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley. The easy protections, obviously. Then you have guys like Jared Allen, Chetty Osman, Isaac Okoro, Ricky Rubio. He's on a nice contract, even though he's a veteran. And then Dean Wade uh, is their last protection. That leaves Dylan Windler, who technically is a restricted free agent. So that's something that you know Seattle and Las Vegas would have to think about. Of like, okay, this is a restricted free agent. So we can select them, but then we'll have to offer them a new contract and, and all of that detail. So uh, whether that plays a factor, uh, we'll see. But uh, at least Dylan Windler, he was just kind of the odd man out for the Cavaliers. The Bucks are an interesting team. And to me, it was relatively easy. But a lot of their players are free agents or have options. So they don't have a ton to protect. They only had six players by my count. Obviously, Giannis, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton has an option, so he's not considered. Bobby Portis has been huge, and he's on a great contract, so they'll protect him. And I had Grayson Allen and Pat Connaughton protected as well. Uh, you know, they're on decent contracts. You know, they, they're kind of on their list of you know, swing players for them. I feel like that, that position for the Bucks has always been just kind of a cycle of, you know, those... Three and D players, you know, if you can call them that even. But I had those two protected over uh, Marjan Beauchamp, their young guy who I think is uh, from the Seattle area. So that's fun. Again, these, these are fun conversations because you protect the, the young player who maybe hasn't shown, you know, star potential, but still young. Who knows what he might turn into? Or do you protect the, the veteran? who you know what you're going to get and maybe you need to rely on you know this up, upcoming year in the bucks case i i think you know whether you are big fans of Grayson allen pat Connaughton, guys like that i i think they're still going to rely on them enough that that they're worth protecting but we'll see you know come the the actual draft if if guys like bochamp and some of these younger players might be kind of enticing for the the new teams the next team, uh, the Orlando Magic, I, you know, relatively easy to figure out, but they do have a, a lot on their roster. So again, they're a young team, a lot of young players on good contracts. So they're going to protect, obviously, Paolo, Franz Wagner, then guys like Markel Fultz, Wendell Carter, Jalen Suggs, Cole Anthony. I had Bull Bull on there as well. And then Jonathan Isaac was, I guess, the last protection that I put. You know, they, they have a couple, you know, young guys uh, coming off the bench. Chuma Okiki, who I've really liked for some reason for a while. You can make the argument maybe to protect somebody like him, somebody like Caleb Houston, you know, some of their younger players that might have potential. 
And you might say that, okay, Jonathan Isaac, too many injuries on a contract that's not tons, but if he's not going to be on the court, obviously hinders them. But I think the Magic give it one more shot with him. So I think they protect him uh, and just take the risk on some of their younger bench players as well. 76ers, that was the next team that was relatively easy. Not a lot of players on the roster that are needing to be protected. Joel Embiid, he's not going anywhere. And then a lot of their, you know, young pieces uh, slash veterans, you know, whether that be Tyrese Maxey, DeAnthony Melton, P.J. Tucker. I had Jaden Springer and Paul Reed uh, as the the two others to be protected, leaving Furkan Korkmaz uh, as the the lone player unprotected. Korkmaz was someone who, you know, was kind of fun off the bench for them for a while, but kind of fell out of the rotation this year. So I think that's you know, a relatively easy decision for them. Uh, that leads me to the Lakers, my next team. LeBron James, AD, they're not going anywhere. Because they're restricted free agents and not unrestricted, they have to protect Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura. Pretty obvious choices as well. So then it leaves a couple veterans uh, and, and a young player. Max Christie, who was there, I guess, next in line of just kind of low-drafted young player that has potential. I think they protect him. Uh, and then Jared Vanderbilt, I think even though he fell out of the rotation, kind of near the end of the playoffs, he's still really important for them. So that leaves Mo Bamba, who uh, who knows will actually be on the roster next year for the Lakers anyways. But I think in this case, they would make sure he is on the roster and and leave him unprotected. And, you know, maybe that's somebody that, you know, Seattle or Vegas might be interested in because he's still... He's still tall. He's still lanky. He can still shoot, so that might be a good project. The last team that I had as just kind of pretty easy to be protected uh, was the Sacramento Kings. Uh, a lot of players on their roster kind of near the end of the bench uh, are free agents, so that leaves kind of their core able to be protected. Obviously, De'Aaron Fox, Sabonis, uh, their mainstays for them. Guys like Malik Monk, He's on a great contract this upcoming year. Keegan Murray, their standout rookie. Davion Mitchell, Kevin Herter, and Rashawn Holmes uh, round out their protections. Only other guy left is P.J. Dozier, who has bounced around a little bit, uh, but he's on their roster for next year. Makes him the pre- pretty obvious choice for uh, the Kings there. So, so not too much to sweat about if I was them. Then we get into some more maybe difficult decisions uh, if, if I was the team. Um, and I think this is where a, a lot of teams are going to f- kind of fit into a category because this is where, you know, maybe it's a high-priced veteran that you might want to move on to. Maybe it's a young player that you, know, you really don't want to part with. But I think these decisions get a little bit harder. And I'm going to start with the, the Clippers. And, I, you know, I don't know if this decision is hard, but it's maybe a little bit more notable because they're, they're full of a lot of veteran pieces that, who are, you know, overpaid, uh, I guess is the, the easy way to put it. So they're going to protect, obviously, their stars, Paul George, Kawhi. I had Norman Powell, Evita Zubats, Batum, Bones Highland, Terrence Mann. You know, those are pretty easy protections. Then it comes down to Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, and Amir Coffey, who I'll throw in there as well. 
although obviously a lot different than, than Morris and Covington. They can only protect one of those players. You can make the argument for Coffey just because he's a little bit younger. Obviously, he has a, a lot better of a contract. I went with Marcus Morris uh, over Robert Covington as the last protection. You know, Covington definitely has fallen off from where he was even just a few years ago as one of the premier kind of 3 and D small forwards. So he might not even be selected just because of his contract and how he's fallen off. But I think Marcus Morris at least gives you something, even though, you know, some of the time you don't want what he's giving. Um, but I think that, you know, it would be a conversation if I was the Clippers. Uh, the Celtics are the next team, uh, and they're kind of interesting because, you know, they, they have a lot of their pieces that would be, you know, eligible to be protected. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford, Brogdon, Mark Smart, Derek White, Robert Williams, Grant Williams. I think everybody that I mentioned, the Celtics would be like, yeah, we, you know, we still want them. Al Horford, he's on a great contract, you know, these next couple of years. So even due to his age, I think they still keep him. The only one you could argue is Grant Williams because he's a restricted free agent. You know, maybe they're already moving on from him. Maybe they leave him unprotected. Or maybe they decide that the two that they left unprotected, they aren't super uh, sad about losing. Sam Hauser, he's the probably the main one that would be left unprotected. And honestly, I think would be somebody that, that Seattle or Vegas would, would jump on. You know, he didn't play tons in the playoffs, but he had some important moments for Boston and I think would be kind of a nice shooter to have. So I think it would be a tough decision, but I think probably in the end, probably the right decision to leave uh, Hauser unprotected if I was the Celtics. The Nets are the next team, and uh, this could be a whole conversation um, just on the Nets. Let's start with the easy ones. Mikhail Bridges, uh, DFS, Dorian Finney-Smith, Nick Claxton, Royce O'Neal, Cam Johnson, Cam Thomas I have as well. And then veterans like Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, who, you know, are potentially overpaid and might get moved, but I think are still somewhat valuable, so they would be protected. That's eight names that I mentioned there, and the one name that wasn't mentioned uh, was Ben Simmons. I, I, you could make the debate that they would protect him just for the asset, just for uh, maybe they still believe him in him. But if you're not really playing basketball, if when you are, you're kind of a shell of yourself, and yet you're being paid $38 million and $40 million the next two years, you know, this it will be a separate conversation, I guess. But if you're Seattle or Vegas, would you pick Ben Simmons if he was unprotected based on the contract you had? Uh, the answer might be no, and we'll get to that conversation. But I think it's close enough that I think the Nets would be fine moving on, but I guess you could make the argument maybe they still believe in him. But for now, I'm leaving him unprotected. Uh, along with Patty Mills, Dayron Sharp, David Duke. You know, some nice pieces as well, uh, if, but just a numbers game. You know, the Nets are somebody that can only protect eight. So that leaves a couple, couple guys on the bench left as well. The Pacers are the next one, and they're kind of fun because of just kind of the depth they have with some intriguing young players that might be left unprotected. 
Tyrese Halliburton, Chris Duarte, Andrew Nemhard, Ben Matherin, and then their veterans, Miles Turner, Buddy Heald. I think those are pretty easy protections. Then you get a, into a conversation of some veterans and some young players and who is worth not protecting. So veterans, I have Daniel Tice and TJ McConnell. And then young players, Jalen Smith, Aaron Neesmith, who they got from Boston, and then Jordan Wara and Isaiah Jackson. I had TJ McConnell protected along with uh, Aaron Neesmith. You know, I think, you know, best of both worlds. McConnell gives, you know, a nice veteran presence, a nice, you know, point guard defender off the bench. And Neesmith, I think of all the young guys I mentioned, has the most potential. So that leaves Daniel Tice, who's, you know, been around at this point. And then Jalen Smith, who uh, the Suns gave up on, but he's still young, might be an interesting flyer for, you know, an expansion team uh, as guys that left unprotected. The Heat are the next team. They are a team that uh, doesn't have a lot of numbers, but an interesting conversation because I think, obviously, Jimmy Butler, Adam Bio, Caleb Martin, after his amazing performance, Tyler Hero, their young guy, Nikola Jovic, not Jokic, Nikola Jovic, uh, would be protected. And then that leaves Omer Yurt seven, you know, a nice kind of young big guy off the bench for them, who is a restricted free agent. So that might play a factor. And comparing him to their two, uh, you could say overpaid veterans in Kyle Lowry and Duncan Robinson. You can make the argument, especially for Duncan Robinson, after he played, uh, let's say, subpar basketball for most of the season this year. He's on a long extension. You could argue they want to get off of his contract. You could argue they don't want to pay $30 million to Lowry next year, even though it is... Uh, an expiring contract. But I had those two protected, uh, leaving Yurt 7 unprotected. Heat, they may feel differently. Heat fans may feel differently, but I'm going with Yurt 7. The Knicks are the, the next team in kind of uh, a, a overpaid veteran getting uh, unprotected. I had Evan Fournier as the unprotected. You know, he sort of fell off the rotation with the Knicks. Yes, he's probably not worth what he's paid, but he's a maybe serviceable shooter still in the league, so he's not terrible. And I don't think it's an easy pick to be unprotected, but I think just how their roster turned out, they'd rather have, obviously, their stars, Brunson and Randall. Although, Knicks fans would probably make a case for Randall being unprotected. And then just all their young guys, whether it's Mitchell Robinson, RJ Barrett, Hartenstein, Obi Toppin, Quickly, Grimes, I think you'd rather protect those than Fournier, so that makes him sort of the obvious choice to be unprotected, although it is always fun to see the, the veteran player get unprotected. Uh, in a similar vein, the, the Raptors, or the next team, just like Fournier was for the Knicks, I have Thaddeus Young, who uh, surprisingly is still in the league. Uh, I have him as the, the player kind of being unprotected, or at least, uh, at least one of them, and probably the hardest. You know, even though he's a veteran, there's still a nice presence for the Raptors. But again, just a numbers game. And I think at this point, you know, teams are going to kind of gravitate towards the young player that maybe hasn't shown tons of potential, but still has some potential over the player like Thaddeus Young, who, you know, is a, a veteran who you know what you're going to get. 
So for the the Raptors, guys like Christian Coloco, who you know was was fun at Arizona, hasn't really shown a ton yet um, with the Raptors. But I think you know you'd rather see him develop than keep somebody like Thaddeus Young. So that makes that decision you know relatively easy. Uh, another veteran on a, a string of veterans getting unprotected. I have the Mavericks leaving JaVale McGee as their lone player being unprotected. Mavericks are another team that just kind of have low numbers on their roster so far. And I think, you know, McGee gets the call over, you know, young guys who they want to keep, like Josh Green, Jaden Hardy, who showed flashes last year. I think the only other option you could argue if you're Dallas uh, is Davis Bertans, just because of his contract. But, I, you know, that contract might actually be valuable in kind of moving out pieces, you know, in the next week or two. So maybe they keep him. Maybe they still see him as a at least serviceable shooter in comparison to JaVale McGee, who really didn't play tons last year. So, you know, we all love JaVale McGee, but I think he'd be, be open to be selected. The next veteran who I have uh, being unprotected is coming from the Pelicans of all teams. Pelicans are somebody that have a ton of, you know, young players, players in their prime kind of on their roster, whether that be CJ, Brandon Ingram, Zion, as much as we heard about Zion, of course, he would be protected. Jonas Valanciunas has been big for them. And then some of their young pieces, Trey Murphy, obviously, Kira Lewis, Dyson Daniels, Jackson Hayes. You know, I think those four in particular, I think those get protected over Larry Nance who, again, at this point, you know what you're going to get. I'd rather see somebody like Jackson Hayes, somebody like Dyson Daniels, continue to, uh, to develop. So that makes that somewhat interesting, although it is another high-priced veteran uh, on the table. Speaking of high-priced veterans, uh, that brings me to the Trailblazers, who, you know, maybe this might just be me. Uh, maybe Trailblazer fans and the Blazers themselves might make a different decision. But I have Nurkic as their player being unprotected. And really the decision comes down to, do you want to pay Nurkic you know, close to $60 million the next three years? Or would you rather just protect a young guy like Keon Johnson, Trendon Watford? Again, you can make the argument one of those two players should be left unprotected. And you know, maybe you still get an asset back for Nurkic in a trade. But I think there's a chance that either Nurkic doesn't get selected or a team does and you get off that contract. So to me, I would unprotect Nurkic and kind of roll the dice and see what happens there uh, and just kind of keep some young, cheap guys on the roster. But maybe that's just me. But another, another veteran that would be on the blocks. Another veteran uh, of the string of veterans being uh, unprotected as uh, the Spurs and Devontae Graham, who certainly has had a fall from his, well, I don't know if you can say fall because I don't know if he was really ever that good, but he had some promise and had some promising years in Charlotte uh, and has now bounced around as, and sort of the veteran on the Spurs team. The Spurs just have so many young players that obviously they would protect over Devontae Graham. So he's not on a terrible contract, but he hasn't exactly kept up with his, his years in Charlotte. So I think he uh, is an easy uh, player to be left protected because you'd rather have guys like 
Keldon Johnson, Devin Vassell, Sohan, Romeo Langford, Malachi Branham, Trey Jones, who's a, a restricted free agent. Spurs definitely want to bring him back. Blake Wesley, I really like out of Notre Dame. So uh, just another example of young players over the veteran player. Uh, wrapping up sort of this, this section of uh, just, I guess, somewhat notable teams to talk about. The Wizards, you know, I did this before Bradley Beal got traded. And, you know, it's not totally official of who's getting moved. Obviously, Beal is. Sounds like maybe some, some lower-end bench guys as well. Doing this before, I think, wouldn't really change. We don't know if Chris Paul's going to be there or not. So, really, it just comes down to a couple guys like Anthony Gill, a veteran who's on kind of the back end of their roster, uh, would get unprotected. I don't think that changes with the trade, but obviously that would play a factor. Uh, on the other side of that trade, obviously their, their big three uh, would get uh, protected along with DeAndre Ayton campaign. Jock Landale, he was uh, surprisingly effective for them this past year. I think he'd be protected, which would leave Darius Baisley, who surprisingly is on the Suns after being moved from OKC, uh, but he would be unprotected for me. And then that leaves uh, a couple teams that, frankly, I get mixed up on at times, uh, and that's the Jazz and the Timberwolves. Timberwolves, I have uh, Wendell Moore and Jordan McLaughlin uh, as unprotected. McLaughlin is, uh, I mean, he's still relatively young, but plays like a veteran point guard. He's been solid for them at times. Uh, And then Wendell Moore, who played at Duke. um, And, you know, again, hasn't shown tons of uh, stuff in the NBA, but might be some interesting guys to be selected. But uh, that's somebody that, unless they're going to, somehow give up on Rudy Gobert and his big contract. I think those are kind of the, the, right, the right path to go down. And then the Jazz. Lots of young guys, and you're really going to have to pick between the young guys. Uh, and to me, that, that let Chris Dunn be un, unprotected. I really liked Chris Dunn when he came out of Providence uh, way back when. He unfortunately hasn't necessarily put it all together. But who knows, maybe he would get selected. But I think the Jazz go with guys like, obviously, Markinen, Olenek, Walker Kessler. But even guys like Luka Samanic, Ochai Baji, I, you know, I think they get protected over Chris Dunn. So he's the odd man out there. And then I think that leaves me, uh, by my count, six teams left. I have, I think, the, the hardest time, or at least the more interesting pieces being unprotected with the six teams. The first one's the Hawks. And there's somebody that, again, has sort of a nice deep roster, even if you don't love a ton of their players. Trey Young, John Collins, Capella, Bogdanovich, DeJounte Murray, DeAndre Hunter, and Okongwu. I think it's pretty easy to say those seven are, are being protected. So then that leaves Sadiq Pei, who they just traded for, and A.J. Griffin, the, the young guy out of the rookie from Duke. Jalen Johnson as well, who you know has shown flashes, but I think he, out of the three, definitely would probably be left unprotected. So if you can only protect one more, A.J. Griffin or Sadiq Bey? I went with Sadiq Bey, I think just because of what they gave up for him. 
And he's, I mean, he showed promise in Detroit and I think might play a role in their future. But I, these are the hard decisions because AJ Griffin, he was a rookie. He's a great shooter. He's got length. He's got size. I, I know the Hawks wouldn't want to give up on him. I mean, there's certainly not, you know, leaving Trey Young to Jonte Murray unprotected. They've talked about trading John Collins for uh, five years now. Who knows? Uh, but would they really leave him unprotected and lose him for nothing? Uh, I would say no, at least over A.J. Griffin. But again, who knows? So, I, again, this is where we get tough of like, oh, A.J. Griffin, I think he's a still a promising young player. But, you know, it's a numbers game. So that's that's where the Hawks land for me. The Pistons are another team that, again, you'll see a theme with a lot of these kind of tougher decisions of, you know, they're a young team that have a lot of young pieces. And when you're a young team, you usually have more than eight players you like. And the Pistons are another team like that. Cade Cunningham, obviously he's not going anywhere. Jaden Ivey, not going anywhere as well. Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, the other Bogdanovich in Detroit, not a young player, but I think has been their best player. Uh, at least this past year, without Cade. So I think they leave him protected as well. Then it's a question of, okay, which young guy do you like left? Because the only ones left that are eligible to be selected is Jalen Duran, Isaiah Stewart, Killian Hayes, and Marvin Bagley. Duran, they just selected him. He's still young, had shown promise. I think he's a pretty easy selection to be protected. Isaiah Stewart, you know, he has his deficiencies for sure, but I think he's shown he, he's a quality player. So I think they protect him as well. So then that leaves a couple decisions on, you know, probably two players that are sort of similar in that they were a high draft pick, haven't shown it. You know, you don't quite want to call them bust just yet, but that's Killian Hayes and Marvin Bagley. I went with Killian Hayes to be protected. Again, lots of people might pick Bagley, but I think just because of how the Pistons are set up, you know, they still have James Wiseman, who's on an option and, and not, not eligible to be, to, to be protected. But I think with him, with Duran, with Isaiah Stewart, they might move on from Bagley regardless, you know, this season anyways. So I think he gets kind of the nod as somebody that, you know, the Pistons probably wouldn't be Super sad if they move on. But again, another, another young player that might be an interesting selection for another team. Two other young teams that, again, facing similar issues uh, are the Rockets and the Thunder, which I'm sure you know, isn't surprising to a lot of people. The Rockets have a lot of young players who we don't really know if they're good yet because they've been on a bad team. But you know, Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, they're two big picks. They're not going anywhere. Alperin Shengun has been a revelation. He's obviously not going anywhere. Tari Eason, Kevin Porter Jr., Ty Ty Washington, Jay Sean Tate, and KJ Martin. I mean, I think everybody I mentioned, Rockets fans would be like, yes, we don't want to lose them. But then that leaves Usman Garuba and Josh Christopher. And specifically Josh Christopher, I've really liked, and you might be able to make the argument over you know, maybe a, a Jay Sean Tate, maybe Kevin Porter Jr., if you don't like him and his new contract coming up. But 
another example of a, a young player who might be not only picked, but could be picked relatively high, depending on what um, the expansion teams think. And then the Thunder. The Thunder have tons of players. They have, obviously, SGA, Chet Holmgren, who we haven't seen yet, Josh Giddy, Jalen Williams, at least the, the better Jalen Williams. Then, you know, maybe some more veterans who I think are key for them. Lou Dort, Kenrich Williams, who, you know, has always just been a really good role player uh, wherever he's been. And then I have Ushman Jang, who was another one of their draft picks last year. Didn't really show tons, but I think he has enough potential. He gets picked. So then that leaves a bunch of guys. And again, you may not love them, but when we're talking about this kind of level of player, you know, some interesting names. That leaves Pokushevsky. Uh, yeah, more on him in a second. Trey Mann, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. The other Jalen Williams, Isaiah Joe, and Aaron Wiggins. I, I think other Jalen Williams. Uh, might turn into a solid kind of bench big guy. Probably doesn't deserve to be protected, though, with you know the roster crunch that the Thunder have. Trey Mann, uh, a solid point guard, but again, number crunch. I think he gets knocked out as well. Same with uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Pokushevsky, uh, you know, if you've seen him play, if you've seen him on a basketball court, he's entertaining. But I, that doesn't mean he's good or will ever be good. So I think... At some point, the Thunder will move on from him. So I think he gets unprotected as well. So then that leaves Isaiah Joe versus Aaron Wiggins. Isaiah Joe kind of came out of nowhere and was a big shooter for them. So I think he gets protected. Although that's a fun debate between him, Aaron Wiggins, and some of the other guys I mentioned. So, you know, the Thunder might be a team that, as currently constructed, would, you know, be bound to lose some, play, some pieces just because of how deep their roster is. Two teams left. Uh, one team is surprisingly the, the NBA champs, the Denver Nuggets. Obviously, they're, they're big five. They're starting five. Jokic, Murray, Porter, Aaron Gordon, KCP. They're all under contract for this upcoming season, which is a whole other conversation of what next season is going to look like. But obviously, they get protected. Christian Brown. Big rookie season for them. He gets protected as well. That's six. So then that leaves Zeke Naji, Vlatko Chanchar, and Peyton Watson. Three kind of, you know, young-ish pieces. I think Zeke Naji uh, kind of played some, played a role. And same with Chanchar. He came in and played at least uh, some minutes. Uh, it was kind of a nice wing for them. So then that leaves Peyton Watson, who was a rookie out of UCLA. You know, maybe not the hardest decision, but I think those three, that's a fun kind of conversation to have, especially if you're the Nuggets of who's worth keeping. But I think out of those three, I leave Peyton Watson, who, again, is a rookie, so might be worth uh, another shot for an expansion team. And then that leaves potentially the hardest team, and that's the Memphis Grizzlies. And I think, to me, far and away the hardest decision because it's not just one player that you're talking about. It's not just a couple players you're debating about. There's like six guys that will, one, have a very good shot of being unprotected, but also played a huge role for them. And this might be a specific 
just case for the Grizzlies because they had so many injuries, because they had to play a lot of their kind of young pieces. They just have a ton of pieces, just like some of these rebuilding teams, but they're also also good and they're competing for the playoffs. So we'll go through their roster and then go through what I, what I went with. But I think if you talk to 100 different people, you may get 100 different answers. John Morant, uh, you know, whatever he's been going through, he's obviously still being protected. Jaron Jackson Jr., fresh off Defensive Player of the Year, he's being protected as well. Desmond Bain, I think he's obviously a lock to be protected as well. Those three, they're their three stars. They're going to be protected. So there's three. And this is probably the only team that I can say those are the only locks, right? Because most teams, you know, they have seven guys, eight guys. They're like, yep, these are being protected. Uh, not the case with the Grizzlies. I think those are the three locks. Anybody else you can make the argument for. So we'll go with their veterans first. Steven Adams didn't play, you know, a lot. Obviously got hurt at the end of the year. Uh, you know, he's a veteran, so by a lot of the other teams, he might be somebody that gets unprotected. Or you can make the case that he's kind of an important veteran presence for them. You know, much was made of once he got hurt, uh, the Grizzlies kind of fell apart. Or not necessarily fell apart, but we're playing worse. And you're like, hey, Steven Adams should not mean that much, but maybe he does, whether it's on the court, off the court. So I think that's a conversation to have. Tyus Jones, uh, especially with John Morant being suspended, he's probably the closest thing to another lock just because of how reliable he is either off the bench or coming in and starting. I think he's probably the best backup point guard uh, in the league. And then you can make the argument he's better than a lot of starting point guards. So I I think he's pretty safe and probably the fourth kind of clear lock to be protected. Luke Kennard uh, comes over from the Clippers. I think led the league in three-point shooting uh, this past year. So probably gets protected. Again, uh, definitely older than some of these other guys on the roster, but still not old. Um, Still kind of in the prime. Still a really good shooter for them, even though he struggled uh, against the Lakers in the playoffs. I think he probably gets protected, but again, that's a conversation to have. Brandon Clark uh, as the next veteran, although again, he's still young, so I don't know if I can call him a veteran. He tore his Achilles, so he didn't play this past year. I think they protect him because I don't, we're not that far away from him kind of being a revelation for them. Uh, and I'm expecting hopefully he'll come back this next year uh, and make an impact for them. He's on a good contract. He's signed long-term, so they probably protect him unless they're worried about injury. Or, again, unless they like a lot of these other players I'm going to mention. So let's, let's say, just for example, uh, your, your big three, your three stars, Tyus Jones, that's four. Luke Kennard is five. Brandon Clark is six. And Steven Adams is seven. Let's say you protect all those guys. That's seven protections. You only have one left. You have young guys like Jair Williams, Jake LaRavia, David Roddy, John Conchar, and Santi Aldama. And that doesn't even include Kenny Lofton, who you know, was in their G League for a lot of the past year, but you know, showed some promise. Obviously, he had a big game at the end of the year. 
But if you're going to protect the seven that I mentioned, out of Williams, Laravia, Roddy, Conchar, Aldama, out of those five, again, assuming you're unprotecting Lofton, which is a whole other conversation, you can only protect one. If uh, A year ago, it's pretty easily Zaire Williams, who uh, is, I guess, maybe more famous for having playing with Bronny James and then obviously played against LeBron. Then he sort of just fell out of the rotation. So he's still young, still has a lot of promise, but I think he's kind of up in the air. Jake LaRavia is probably the easiest one to leave unprotected. Again, nothing against him, but just a roster crunch. David Roddy is really fun. I liked him in college, and I think he was kind of landed on the perfect team with Memphis. John Conchar, uh, reliable. Again, still young, but again, plays like a veteran. And then Santi Aldama played the most this past year, so I lean towards Aldama being protected. But even if you go with him, and then if you want to make the case for one of the other four to be protected over Brandon Clark, over Steven Adams, I'd be totally open to it. But I think that's where I'm leaning, is protecting those seven I mentioned, protecting Santi Aldama. But the Grizzlies are in prime position, whoever they protect, to lose somebody. And in this case, I have Zaire Williams, Jake LaRavia, David Roddy, and John Conchar being unprotected. So uh, that was all the teams. Obviously, I ran through a ton of names. I, I think we'll, we'll split this into a two-part. So sometime coming up, I will do the second half, which will be the actual draft of the players I mentioned. Pretty clear that a lot of the teams I mentioned right at the end, especially the Grizzlies, they're in prime position to lose players, especially early on. Might be top picks. The one, the one good thing for a team like Memphis and I'll get into more when I start the draft. You can, only pre- you can only select one player from each team. Okay, so this isn't in place to essentially protect a team like the Grizzlies, who that wasn't the case. They'd probably lose four guys, honestly, just because of how their roster is. So, you know, the Grizzlies, while they don't want to lose, maybe a Zaire Williams, maybe a David Roddy, they're only in position to lose one of them. So I think that is obviously a, a better pill to swallow because those four guys, uh, a little redundant, right? Just kind of seeing that they play similar positions, play a similar role. They're going to lose one, probably the one that's more highly regarded, but they still have the other three as well. So again, we'll get into all of that uh, more in, in part two, which uh, will run probably later this week uh, or next week, where we'll do the actual draft uh, of these players, but just kind of gives you a breakdown of what protections are, what teams would do with those protections, and then what players would be left unprotected. So uh, a, more of a breakdown of the players left unprotected coming up in part two. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but this was part one. All the protections and, and all the rules going into a potential expansion draft coming yeah, in the next couple of years, uh, probably with Seattle and Vegas. So we'll finish up with part two uh, coming up next week. That will do it for the episode today. We will be back on Sunday, uh, recapping all of the storylines out of the NBA draft, and then hopefully covering a lot of trades that go down. Again, hopefully we get some big ones. So make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and we will see you on Sunday.